Hey guys, before we get started today, I wanted to take a quick minute to tell you about Ladder. Ladder is a sports nutrition brand that is seeking to change the way that supplements are made. They've worked with top scientists to try to formulate a line of clean performance products. Unlike other supplements out there, every batch is tested by a third party to verify the highest standards of quality and safety. All of their products are certified for sport by the NSF, which is the gold standard for quality in the sports nutrition and supplement business. So you know that they're serious about quality and performance. I've been able to sample a few of their products recently. They have a bunch of very cool products, including a pre-workout supplement that is meant to help boost your energy levels to prepare for your workouts. There is a hydration supplement that you can mix in with water and just have during your workout, whether you're on the run or in the gym or whatever that is. What my family and I have really been enjoying so far is their protein products. They have a whey protein and a plant protein supplement that's a powder that you mix in with your daily shake. They're vanilla flavored or chocolate flavored, and they help give a little extra kick to your nutritional shake. So we've enjoyed mixing those in to our shakes and giving a real boost in terms of both flavor and nutrition. Ladder's goal is to help you unlock your best in any situation. So what that means right now is access to special offers and expert advice from their online community. You can use the code BETTEREVERYDAY for 30% off everything site-wide at ladder.sport. That's BETTEREVERYDAY, B-E-T-T-E-R-E-V-E-R-Y-D-A-Y, for 30% off at ladder, L-A-D-D-E-R, dot sport. And thank you to Ladder for sponsoring this episode. Hello and welcome to The Pain Cave. My name is Jay Friedman. I am your host in The Pain Cave and I am now a little bit embarrassed because as I say this, I'm realizing that I stole this introduction from the podcast partner of my next guest, but I am very excited to be joined by one of my favorite people in really, I'm going to say all of media. He is a podcaster. He is a music and television critic, or at least has been. And he is also the showrunner for the fantastic show Briar Patch on USA, which you can get uh, through streaming and everything else. He is Andy Greenwald. Andy, welcome to the Pain Cave. Boy, thanks. I feel like we've nationally been living in a Pain Cave for quite some time now, so I'm actually very much at home here. Uh, that's very perceptive. Speaking of which, how is your quarantine going? You know, I I think there's. For a lot of us who are who are in relatively fortunate circumstances, there's just two tiers of talking about it. The first tier is acknowledging one's enormous privilege and comfort to even be comfortable right. in this time because, you know, safe, have a home. Uh, thanks to moving to Los Angeles, I have a backyard. My family's good. Uh, everything's fine. And then you can casually then slip down to the second tier where you can start tearing your hair out over the <laughs> disaster that is everything else in the world and more than anything else, the complete lie that you know, homeschooling is an option when you also have a job and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So I think like everyone, I'm completely losing my mind, but otherwise fine. Yeah. It gives a new perspective to the uh, first world problem kind of uh, trope, I guess. It, it is. I mean, in this case, the entire world has problems. Yes. That's the one thing that unites us. <laughs> well, I'm really psyched to have you on. Thank you for taking the time uh, in the middle of this crisis. 
for for those of my listeners who may not be familiar, um, what we're doing here is basically during this period is I'm trying to reach out to people who are well-known for things outside of running who also have to ha- happen to have running as a pursuit. And when I found out that you were a runner, I was really excited to try and have you on to talk a little bit about running because while you talk, you know, kind of as a profession or at least part of your profession, we never really get to hear about the running aspect of it. And uh, that's that's part of what interests me. So that's what we're doing here. You're, you're the... Uh, second or third person we've had. I, I had your former Grantland uh, colleague, Jay Skeets, on to talk uh, basketball and running a couple weeks ago. It was super fun. And uh, we're, we're going to continue with this for this foreseeable future. By the way, that reminds me, uh, next time you talk to your boss, uh, Bill, uh, have him tell Malcolm Gladwell to return my email. That would be great. <laughs> I'll do my best. <laughs> so, Andy, I've been familiar with your career since the Grantland days. I've been a, a fan of uh, the Hollywood Prospectus podcast that you and Chris Ryan have been doing for a long time. And that led me to obviously follow you guys to the the Watch podcast, which you're doing now twice a week, which is just fantastic. And of course, to Briar Patch, which I, I want to get into in a little bit. But I, I, it's, this, is, this is weird because I feel like I know so much about you just from listening to you and Chris just bullshit basically twice a week for like the last several years. But t- tell me a little bit about your, or tell the listeners, I guess, a little bit about your background, how uh, you came into the kind of podcasting and media sphere, because you've been doing media related or media facing yeah. careers for a long time. Yeah. I mean, I, I've been kind of on all sides of it. Um, I When I graduated college, um, you know, in, into what now feels like a very different world, um, my dream and Chris's dream as well. We were friends in college, though we didn't go to the same school. Um, was to work for magazines. We both idolized our favorite uh, rock critics, and so I got. Uh, I started working at Spin Magazine right after graduating um, in '99, and uh, basically was you know an assistant for a while, and then just taking whatever writing assignments I could get, which led to me being a video game writer for a brief time, and then um, ended up taking over the website at a very young age and then being the sort of director of new media for vibe and spin when I was 24, which is not really a compliment. It's more of an indictment of that company um, <laughs> and what they thought of new media. Um, and when that started to go South, uh, I, you know, I, I jumped on another uh, rising tide, which was book publishing <laughs> uh, and uh, wrote, wrote, ended up writing two books, one a nonfiction book about um, emo music and the internet and young people. And then a novel a few years later, but basically was just, you know, in the world of magazines, writing for Entertainment Weekly and, you know, Washington Post, and basically as a freelance writer for a long time. Um, by the time Grantland was coming around, I had basically said, I'm done with this. You know, I was at the Venn diagram of two dying industries. I mostly wrote about music at the time, and music business was in the toilet, and so was publishing. Um, and so... I actually was hoping to begin a career as a TV writer and I had an agent in LA and was doing everything the wrong way, not moving to LA, not staffing, (laughs) doing everything completely wrong. Um, And then to supplement life because that wasn't paying, I was doing a bunch of writing, um, actually starting to do some TV recaps for Vulture. And my editor at Vulture, who I'd known back at Spin, was one of the was the uh, Lane Brown was the culture editor, founding culture editor at Grandland. Um, a lot of my friends were involved in it: Chris Ryan, Chuck Klosterman. And 
it even was at the point where I remember going to get a drink in Brooklyn with Chuck in February of 2011. And he was like, you know, this thing with Bill is really happening. If there's something you want to do, you should pitch it. And I said, oh, no, no, thanks. Why? I'm done with that world. Oh, just. <laughs> I, I just, you know, I just felt like I, I just didn't know what more I had to contribute to that, to, to, to that world. I was trying to pursue this writing career in a different direction. Um, two months later, Lane reached out and said, look, I finally convinced them that we need a culture writer when we start. It's part time. And I was like, I don't know. I mean, I was an idiot. I fought it. Um, finally said yes, had a piece up about HBO the day the site launched in June. And then I wrote every day for that summer. And by the fall, uh, I was essentially had just become the TV critic and, and, and went full time and never looked back. And, and, you know, obviously it was the best decision of my life because after all those years, you know, in, a de- in declining industries to work for someone like Bill, who was being so generous and sharing his audience. Right. Um, and then at the same time, realizing that I truly loved writing about TV, which was bizarre how long it took me to realize I didn't care who, I didn't really care to interview drummers anymore. I never cared about how the musical sausage was made, but I cared so much about story. And so all of a sudden I had this uh, entree into a world where, you know, I was fascinated by everyone, um, the writers, the, the executives, everybody in between. And then, you know, when Bill, when Lane hired me, I didn't know Bill. I was in New York, and I think I came out to L.A. for the first time in December of 2011. I met Bill for the first time, and I think that's when he learned that Chris and I were best friends. And Chris was and already on board at that point. Chris was, yeah. Chris was uh, an editor at the very beginning. He was still in New York at that point, not for long, but he was, um, yeah. He had been he had been involved from very early on. Chuck had introduced him to Bill, right? And uh, he, when he found out we were friends, he said they should do a podcast because you know it was still relatively a new field but the experience that he had from knowing the, knowing eric rideholm who put together um pardon the interruption he knew that friendship was more valuable than anything else so right. he told jacoby to give us a shot and that was in january of 2012 and uh we haven't stopped recording since well and that's interesting because you know like you said it, it's it's really the interplay between you and chris that makes that show work. I mean, I, I listen religiously. And honestly, I don't I, I've never had HBO. I don't have, you know, Hulu. So honestly, and, uh, you know, most of your musical references are beyond me. So 80% of what you guys talk about, I have no idea and will probably never get to see. But uh, it, it, it's a testament to you guys as the, the, the interplay that you guys have between the two of yourselves. And that, like you said, goes back 20 plus years. And just, uh, you know, just wanting to spend time kind of in your in your little world that, uh, you know, I still tune in all the time. I mean, I haven't seen Honestly, it's probably been three years since I've seen a show that you guys discuss. But, um, wow. you know, I just I love listening to you guys talk. Um, <laughs> that's like that's a great compliment. Thank you. That means a lot. I mean, that's why we feel really good about doing the show, even if we have nothing prepared, you know, or even if there's not a show we're watching, just because we, we always have a good time. And it means a lot that people still like to listen. Well, and the recurring bits are just fantastic. I mean, Daddington Corner and uh, Andy's airplane movies and everything else is just it's, it, it's, I, just, I, lo- I love that you guys can draw on just your your shared experience to just co- go off on whatever. Now, you guys, um, you said you've been friends since college, but you both grew up in Philly, just uh, yes, where in Philly exactly were you from? So I'm from uh, Wynwood, and oh yeah, okay, um, just just by like right by um, uh, City Line Avenue and Haverford Avenue. Sure, and and Chris grew up in uh, right by the art museum. Oh, okay, and so and so we never met. Uh, we didn't meet until the summer after our freshman year of college because I was at college with a someone he knew from high school 
who introduced us. Um, and then I actually, I did know his dad though, because his dad was the longtime movie critic for, for the, the Inquirer. Inquirer. I didn't right? know yeah. Him. Yeah, Desmond Ryan. So I read him. So he, Chris was kind of like a celebrity for me because of that when I met him. <laughs> That's so cool. Um, all right, we'll play a, a little bit of uh, Who Do You Know and, and Philly you know, stuff a little bit later because I have my sure. own Philly experiences there. Um, I wanted to talk to you a little bit before we get into the show and into running. I want to talk to you a little bit about you as an interviewer. And I assume this is a... a a skill that you developed when you were at Spin, like you said, just talking to drum, drummers and, you know, whoever mm-hmm. else. Um, but especially, you know, on the podcast, especially when you had the you had the, the Andy Greenwald podcast that was going for, you know, kind of a little bit haphazardly, but semi-regularly, mm-hmm. I guess, at Grantland. And you had some really great interviews. And I've always admired your ability to just make somebody comfortable and kind of... I don't want you don't you don't lead anybody, but you get them going where you want to go. And as somebody who's you know been doing this at a very amateurish level for a while, um, I, I just wanted to kind of get your insights on how do you run an interview because you're one of the better interviewers that I've heard. Oh, thanks. That's a big compliment. You know, even you just saying that makes me realize that I kind of miss it. Um, you know, once once I moved moved out here and was focusing more on my TV writing career, it's just something I didn't really have time to pursue because I was booking it myself and the hustling sort of fell by the wayside. Um, but I love doing that show. And the fact that I got to talk to the caliber of people that I got to talk to, I still kind of can't believe it. Um, you know, get, actually getting to talk to heroes of mine, like, like Lindsay Buckingham or Anthony Bourdain or whatever. Right. Um, to, to your point, it's absolutely an acquired skill. It's not ever something I set out to do, but it was something that I have been doing, you know, in some form or another since 1998 i think when i was an intern it's been i i interviewed stephen merritt from the magnetic fields and that is a tough interview that was one of my first <laughs> so you know so i i, I you, you kind of almost can't help but get better at it um i i think that one piece of it is just genuine enthusiasm and interest you know when i was booking my own interview show i only chose to talk to people i wanted to talk to um which is different than being a fan. You know, there are plenty of people who I find interesting in their work, but less interesting in person. Right. And for that reason, you know, if you go back over the the list of people I spoke to, um, I would say there were probably fewer actors and musicians than there were writers and executives. Um, that might not be totally accurate, but at least that's sort of how I remember it. Right. Um, because, you know, I think you know, actors can be fascinating or they can not be because their their involvement in the creative pursuit is limited to their lane right. as opposed to a writer or showrunner um you know who's really seeing the whole board um but you know i i think that it's a combination honed over time of making sure you ask the questions that you personally are interested in but also being respectful of what the larger audience might be curious about and then also the third piece being what the guest might be um, motivated to talk about. And now that I've been on the other side of it, after going through the press crucible with Briar Patch, I actually felt a lot better about my own abilities, which is not to diminish other people, but to realize <laughs> it is a, it is a, a, you know, it's a, it is a factory. And so sitting down with people and I, and I've been working on something for three years and they've watched one episode, you know, while distracted and then have me <laughs> for 15 minutes, their questions aren't going to match up to what I want to say. And that's no, no, you know, that's, that's not a, a slight at them. It's just the nature of the circumstance they're in. And so realizing that because it's a podcast and because it's something I'm enthusiastic about, I have more time to craft questions and 
and I know now for sure that people will be excited if they're asked something they're not normally asked about. Right, right. The the interview of yours that I always keep coming back to in my mind, do you remember when you had, I don't know if you had him on more than once, but there was one that stuck in my head when, when you had Jeff Carlin on? Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah, he came on twice, I think. Okay, so there was one, I'm not sure if it was the first or the second time, but there was one where he came on, and he's a he's a... Really, he's an engaging guy and everything else, but it felt really at the beginning of the interview like he did not want to be doing this interview. Like you said, he was like in the middle of a press uh, push for some, probably the Goldbergs, I think, had just started. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. by the, you know, he, he was like a little bit brusque even, or uh, he wasn't mm-hmm. rude or anything, but it, 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 it was, it felt, you know, on the other end of the line, like listening to it, like uncomfortable. And by the end, you had, you had him like in the palm of your hand, and he was he said to you at the end, Thank you, you're a really good interviewer. And I, I was do just like that. You do okay. Cause I always keep coming back to that. I'm just like, wow, he you you were able to turn him from being kind he, of a dick into a really uh interesting talker. Yeah, he that was it's a great great call by you because I, I had forgotten about that, but that was really tough. And then he was I think he was really happy at the end. And it really all it took was just actually being interested in what he was saying. Right. That's exactly watched, right. Not, and not just having watched the Goldberg's pilot or, you know, not wanting Larry David's stories, but having watched the films he made. Right. Um, like, I want someone to eat cheese with or whatever and being able to talk about that. Right. And then it actually, it, the reason I had him back on is that I noticed he was commenting on my Instagram. He'd be like, you're the best. Uh, <laughs> and, and so I was like, do you want to come back and talk? And he said, any time for you. Wow. And, and he did. Um, so getting that kind of relationship with people is great. Um, but, you know, there are other people like, I just, you know, while we're talking about it, like, when I had Trevor Noah on was when I relaunched the podcast with Ringer and like he is so smart yeah. and thoughtful and charming and good at this that like, you know, I, I didn't have to do anything. I, <laughs> it, I it, he I love just like te- teeing up the golf ball and just letting him just smack it. it. It is. And also because it was my show and it's a podcast with no time limit, you know, we could just talk about anything about the nature of things as opposed to having to promote something. So I think right. taking advantage of that is very different. Like if it was a Q&A in a magazine, it, uh, you know, I'm not exactly like like Isaac Chudner or whatever that dude's name is at The New Yorker who just nails people to the cross <laughs> in print. Um, so but it, it, it is something that I really enjoy doing and miss. Yeah. Well, you've been pretty busy recently, obviously, with the the launch of Briar Patch, which I have to say was one of my favorite shows. Like I said, I don't watch most of what you guys watch, but one of the best shows that I've seen in a long time, just really um, just fantastic stuff. I wanted to talk a little bit about that for you or with you. Um, I know that this was kind of a longtime goal of yours was to, you know, write a TV show or, or you know, something of that nature. And, you know, I've heard a little bit uh, from listening to the pod about how it came to be with Sam and everything else. But talk to us a little bit. Oh, see, I just did a talk to talk to me. Quite talk about that's terrible. That's it's like interviewing one on one. Fuck. All right. Sorry. Let me let me restart that. No problem. <laughs> Let's do it this way. I know it's ba- the, the show is based on a book by Ross Thomas, who is kind of a, a little known crime writer. Tell me a little bit about uh, adapting the book, and specifically, what I was curious about is what what in the book did you kind of identify as this will make a good TV show, and then you know how much of that needed to change in the actual process of making the show. 
Sure. Well, I, I read the book for the first time when I went on this crazy Ross Thomas jag in like 2004, 2005, when I discovered him. And most of his books were out of print. And it was one of the most fun times of my life when I <laughs> didn't have children and had time to do things like go to your bookstores and, <laughs> and track down 25 <laughs> books by someone and then read them. Um, and even then, before I'd even, you know, stuck a toe into the water of, of writing for the screen, Briarpatch jumped out at me as one that would make a good adaptation. Um, it was not my favorite, but the reason I thought it would make a good adaptation was because for all of his books, which can get really baggy and kind of digressive and in, in all the best ways on the page, Briarpatch was uniquely lean. And again, it's not lean at all by other writer standards, but for him it was. And it kind of followed a very uh, familiar noir uh path it's about a guy benjamin dill who's called back he's a senate investigator in dc and he's called back to his um corrupt hometown uh which is never named or placed um to investigate the murder of his younger sister and then it gets into a web of intrigue and politics and right. etc and that felt very understandable to me and like a like a very strong spine and then immediately when i read it then i i thought that if if i ever had the chance to, to work on it i would want it to be a woman um mainly because a, I'm more interested in female-fronted stories, um, and B, a woman never gets to be the one, the one who returns to the town. You know, this is it's a familiar idea, um, reckoning with your past in this existentially corrupt place. But right. it's very rarely a woman that gets to be the gumshoe. Uh, and I was interested in the sister relationship too that would then be created. And so that was always in my back pocket. And then fast forward a whole bunch of years, um, I've worked on uh, a Legion. Mm-hmm. Um, and 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 um, uh, Cat's Cradle with Noah Hawley. I've moved to LA to to really pursue this as my career. Grantland is done, um, and I met with my agents at UTA, and they were like, "Look, they just need the world needs a new sample from you because they know you as a critic. They don't know you as a writer." So and when you say a sample, that's something for them to bring to. Uh, yeah, just to show my abilities, right? Okay, spec scripts, right? Um, to prove that I can do this. And uh, not something that would get made. And because of that, my one of my agents, Dan, was like, just take one of those books you're always talking about. Don't worry about the rights. Just do it. <laughs> and for whatever reason, wherever I was in my life, like the clouds parted and it was the best writing experience of my life. It was about two and a half weeks. Um, and I just wrote it through almost verbatim to what we filmed. And For the pilot uh, or for the whole series? For the pilot. Oh, yeah. no, the pilot. Right, okay. For the pilot. Um, one thing I learned from being a freelancer is never write for free <laughs> unless you have to. <laughs> and this was for free. And I was only going to do one of them. Um, and I sent it, and I had so much fun. You know, I, I, the, I started doing it pretty, pretty uh, close to the book, and the pilot kind of tracks that, starts that way, with, you know, with dialogue taken right from the book. Mm-hmm. And then... Then I was like, well, why is she acting like this? Why is she sort of cold to everybody and, and not reacting emotionally to her sister? And then I said, well, why am I reacting like that? If it was a, <laughs> When it was a man, I didn't notice it. And then this was with the backdrop. It was, uh, I think I remember thinking that thought after I watched the second presidential debate in 2016, which turned out really well, by the way. I don't want to oh, spoil yeah, that. Fantastic. Um, and I was realizing <laughs> there were connections here that I wasn't you know, in my own male world i wasn't really thinking about about a woman who's trapped by circumstance and unable to exhibit emotion and knows better than to because it'll be pounced on in a land of wolves so that kind of opened up the rest of the adaptation and you know there were just other moments that i i were like you know from the unconscious like i'm just writing and all of a sudden i felt like there should be a dead kangaroo in the street and (laughs) this rotting meat in the hallway and all these things that weren't in the book that just felt more appropriate to the show i dreamed of making and uh, I sent it in my agents, and they were like, "This might be more than a sample." I had seen Sam Esmail just b- 
before that, and he he had brought his told his producing partner Chad Hamilton that he wanted to hire me for something that turned out to be uh, Metropolis, and Chad smartly was like, "Well, can he write?" So <laughs> he called my agents and said, "Has he done anything?" And they said, "Well, they just sent us this," and within forty eight hours, Sam called and said he wanted to do it. So oh my. it was an it was amazing. Um, then it all got gummed up because, as I mentioned before, we didn't have the rights, but you know, it it, it did all work out eventually. The I mean. The show is just, uh, you know, the 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 first few episodes to me, the writing is really what stuck at, stuck out, and I mean, just some of the lines are, and some of the references were just perfect, and then in and and the the tone of the show really changed a little bit. I feel like in the second half, like the first half was, um, not not that the writing got worse. I mean, it was just brilliant the whole way through, and but the the once you got to learn the characters, and I think the actors settled in the performance is really shown through in the second half. And I just, I couldn't wait to get these characters back on the screen. You know, every one of them was, you know, either funny or, you know, able to twist the knife in a certain way. And it was just, the performances were amazing. And the writing just crackled all the way through. I thought it was so good. The first half was definitely, I know you're a big Twin Peaks fan, and it seemed very much Twin Peaks uh, influence to me. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I'm I mean, sure that, we're going to be seeing a 13 year old putting out a uh, mimeographed fanzine <laughs> any any moment. Um, I, I, I should be so lucky. <laughs> I mean, you know that that's the best compliment I could get. Thank you. It, it, it's one of the interesting things about the season, and it is the whole story right there. That season um, is, you know, I see my learning curve as it as it moves along, and you know that's something for me to continue to you know reflect on and be aware of. And I, I actually love it because I, I like seeing the warts and all um, of the TV process. And um, one of the things you're, you're commenting on, it was something that I was proud of, which is that, you know, I, I fell in love with these characters. I loved writing all of them. I wanted every oh. secondary tertiary character to have like an arc and have a reason for being. And then I fell in love with the actors. You know, I've, right. I don't know anyone who's been so lucky, certainly in their first experience to, to work with this level of talent and also just you know, th- they were great people. I miss them. I'm still in touch with them. And so it definitely changed, it definitely changed in a way that I think is more influenced by like Mike Schur than it is David Lynch in that, you know, Parks and Recreation is just as much of an influence on me because all those secondary tertiary characters, as we saw in the reunion special the other week, like they all have so much to give. Right. And you're so excited to see them. And I wanted to create that kind of world too, even within the kind of, you know, noir emotional thriller milieu or whatever it was that I was trying to build. The the tertiary characters are, I mean, I don't want to take anything away from uh, Rosario Dawson or Jay Ferguson, who were fantastic in the in the kind of the main leads. The the tertiary characters were kind of what made the show for me. I mean, um, and and famous, you know, famous that guys like uh, John Elward playing um, the reporter. Yes. Oh, so good. Or Cyrus, who, uh, you know, just so perfectly in control and 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 then you know in in the I guess the third to last or the second to last episode now I don't remember but um, Noah from Veep shows up as like some you know drug addled so, yeah. shaman in the desert oh my god so good I mean that this is the stuff that like it's just what I love you know that we 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 created early actually you know it was Eva Anderson who was my number two in the room started writing this radio host when, when she turned in her draft of three and I loved it. And I was like, well, let's just push this further and let's make this voice a runner, you know, to do something with. And then when we were breaking episode nine, I don't remember, again, this is the beauty of a writer's room, whether it was Eva or Brian Brown, who, you know, I've known since I worked with them on my first TV project, Cat's Cradle. 
said, well, that's who they should run into. And so we, you know, let's create a character here. Let's and let's backfill it. And then we realized that could be the son of the sugar factory right. owner that you know, takes in his house. And, and it's the kind of Easter egg. You don't need to know, have paid attention to that. But if you have been paying attention, it's exciting. And I, I love that. I find that really rewarding as a fan. And then it was just a question of who can who can show up as someone we haven't seen and make an impression and be funny, but also be serious and deliver this emotional truth that our lead needs to hear. And Tim Simons is someone that I've known out here a little bit. And so, I, you know, I just I just texted him. I said, would you want to come play in Albuquerque? And he was gracious enough to do it. And he, he was he walked that line between, um, you know, like brilliance and insanity so perfectly. It was just, you know, like he, he kind of unlocks the entire show and then is like, don't eat the kale. That's how they give you Lyme disease. It was just it was so, so spot on perfect. Just uh, so good. Um, I want to talk to you a little bit about the musical cues. Also, I've, I found the use of music to be awesome. Um, and a lot of kind of incongruence, which I know is kind of something that you and Chris have touched on when you talk about different things, but like a, you know, a really happy song or really upbeat song playing during a really dark scene. And then you guys would like cut it really, really quickly. Like you'd play, you know, like six or eight bars of something and then it would just be silence and it would really, it would flip the mood so quickly. It was really well done. Is that something that as the showrunner you were super involved in, or is that something more like the director is making that uh, decision? No, that's me. That's you. I mean, the thing, the thing is, is that like, it's a total and complete collaboration. And I was lucky to work with brilliant directors and, you know, everybody across the board, but I, I was the only one who was there throughout all of it. And so all the, the final cuts are mine. Um, and all the music choices were mine. And, you know, I'm really proud of that because I used to be a music writer and, um, I fell in love with that convention of, of doing the hard cut um, when we were making the pilot. Uh, it just felt right for this world. Yeah. And there was a moment, there was a moment when I found this Johnny Mathis song um, to play when we were introducing Jay Ferguson's character. And then I was, my editor who did four of the episodes, including the pilot is one of my oldest friends, Gina Hirsch, and she's an incredible talent and a very close friend who I was lucky to have with me. And she and I were playing it and we just smashed it into his line and it made me laugh every time <laughs> and you know that's kind of my that's really your only barometer at a certain point so we tried not to overdo that but i that was always what made sense to me in the sound of the show yeah yeah it was great all right let's you know you only have a few minutes uh i only have a few minutes left with you and i, I did want to talk a little bit about running so uh this is ostensibly a podcast about running in case you were unaware but from the first 35 minutes that we've done here um Tell me a little bit about your background as a runner. Is, uh, let's start with your background as an athlete in general and, and how you got into uh, sure. to running. And, and you know, what, do you, what do you get out of running? Well, I feel more imposter syndrome talking to you as a runner than I did pretending to be a showrunner for the last year. Um, <laughs> I, I, no one has ever said, what is your background with athletics? Thank you for that. Um, <laughs> you know, I... I, I I, Look, like I, you went tennis. you went to Brown. I don't I don't want to. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, we we you I, know the real athletes in the Ivy League look down on those of you from Brown. No, I'm just messing with you. Sorry, that's right. No, it's fine. I don't have any athletic background. I did do cross country. You know, like in middle school. There you go. It wasn't it wasn't soccer or whatever, and it was something that I could do because all you had to do was run. Sure. And I. You know, in retrospect, I really enjoyed it. And then, of course, like with many things that I didn't understand uh, what they were doing for me, I just dropped it and I just didn't do it anymore. And, you know, went through many years of living badly in New York and not really doing any exercise. Um, And then near the end of my time there, I did start like 
you know, working out and going to a gym or doing core work or whatever. Um, but, you know, not, but, but still kind of, I, I wouldn't say it was fully adopted into who I was or what I wanted to be. And then when we moved here um, in 2016, you know, I, I had been working with a, this sounds very pretentious, but I've been working with a trainer because I just didn't know what to do with myself, literally. Well, and you're, then in, I, you're in LA. I think that's required, right? Well, okay. that was in New York. And then I didn't oh, have okay. her anymore. They made and, you sign a contract with have, a trainer when you moved to LA. <laughs> I would love to have done that, but I didn't have <laughs> one anymore. And But I did have all this weather. Um, <laughs> and so I just, I don't know what got into me, but I did just start running. And I went, I, I live in Echo Park on the east side of LA, and there's a beautiful uh, Echo Park Lake. And the, the, the track around it is basically not track. It's the, the walking path is sure. basically basically a mile, and because I was taking the babyest of baby steps, I would drive down there and <laughs> run around it a couple times, and I I liked it. And then I so I like got actual running shoes, and I kept doing it, and I liked it. Um, and what I found was that it was really giving me some sense of calm and focus. Mm -hmm. uh, and you know some some uh consistency and the other thing is and I, I think that it seems like you can relate to this when you have kids and i was soon to have a, a second like you don't have any time right to think and being in a creative field or any field you need some time to think and so it's either the shower or running <laughs> and so i would go and i would just run around the lake you know three or four or five times and think about briar patch and listen to a soundtrack that i made for it and make decisions and i think a lot of the major creative decisions for the season were formed there um you know two years before we even had a writer's room and so i, I credited it a lot with like keeping me calm and sane and whatever and then when and, and that's basically been my routine and then when this whole business started yes. with quarantine, uh, I've sort of taken it to another level, which I'm proud of because I realized that, and I'm sure I'm not alone in this, it's really the only thing that makes me feel better, um, <laughs> yeah. which I, I couldn't believe. But, you know, it gives me some sense of escape and happiness and the endorphins and everything that, that you know, other people talk about and are true. So. I'm no longer driving to run in a circle. I'm just sort of adventuring through the neighborhood and going up into trails and up in hills. And I'm still not, like, I would not pretend that I'm, I know what I'm doing, but I'm now running like seven or eight miles at a time. Um, well, like that's you, times a week. You had mentioned the other day, you, you'd just gotten back from a seven miler. And, you know, no matter how much you want to pretend that, you know, you're, main, you know, not a runner or something like that, if you're going out and banging out seven miles at a, at a clip, you're a runner. I'm sorry to tell you. I, I'm proud, actually, if that's the case, because I really am loving it. And it turns out, again, like this is me learning things that if, if I'd had one conversation with you or anyone, I would have known. But I was very nervous about my own abilities and et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, it it's much more fun if you are not just running on a track. Um, <laughs> if there are things to look at, you know. And, and so the other day, I'm just like, okay, I'm going to turn left here. And I know the highway's there. I know the park's there. And I, I do still end up at the lake and do a couple laps because that's a way to add more miles. Mm -hmm. But it's, I, I, you know, I find it exhilarating. And now I'm kind of like, I, I want to get to eight or nine miles or I want to get to 10 miles. And, you know, I know that's a slippery slope. Uh, yes. and, <laughs> and if I was ever like in a writer's room again or, or in production, I don't know how I would do it. But it feels really good, and uh, I'm really enjoying it. Was it something that you were doing while the show, like when you were in Albuquerque? Was it something that you were able to do there? 
Not to this degree. I did. Um, I did go running, um, but there are t- three problems. One, it's every like 110 my- degrees there. Well, okay, that was one problem. <laughs> was the extreme heat. Two is the altitude, which is yeah. no joke. Yeah, and is really intense all the time. And then three, like I cannot communicate how busy and challenging it was you know for like 14 16 17 hours a day right. and on the weekends either on the weekends i was coming back to la to be with my family or i was there because i had to finish a script or rewriting a script so i would i had a, rented a house um in near the old town and so i would sort of run around a park there a little bit but but it, it didn't really kick back into gear until i was here and 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 sort of become the way that i do my thinking again right right and you know as you you know as it <laughs> I don't want to say it takes over your life, but as it becomes kind of ingrained, um, I think you'll find, you know, when I travel and just trying to learn a new place or just mm-hmm. if, if, anywhere that where you're going to be for a couple of days, it's the easiest way to kind of just get the lay of the land and kind of find places where, you know, you're not otherwise going to get to see. It's pretty neat. I, I think that I've, I hope, and I, I know I could backslide easily, but I think I have hit the point where I don't have like this just, honestly, it's kind of like a fear about it. Like if I run out of this airbnb or friend's house or hotel will i get lost what if i need water what if i need you know what if what if i get bitten by a snake on a city street i mean i don't know i could come up with a fear but i think i've kind of gotten over that feeling and realized no i i've done this before i could do it but i I, but i I, i've resisted uh professionalism to a degree that i just downloaded a runner's app two days ago like i was just running what i imagined to be seven miles and i was looking at my iphone and it would be like you've run or walked 7.4 miles today. And I'm like, okay, that's probably a seven mile run. I don't know why I was resisting it. Now I have this app and I was like, oh, look, that's how far that is. I could do that again. <laughs> um, but I think there was some uh, psychological block to admitting that I was really, uh, really doing this, even though now it's been pretty consistent for four years. So, yeah, you, you talk like somebody who has kind of, you've got the bug at this point. It's, it's, you're, you're going to be like, uh, you know, I'm going to check back with you in like two years. You're going to be like, I just ran my first marathon and, you know, I think that's probably enough for me. And then like six months after that, you're going to be signing up for something else. I don't think so. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I, this is, this is a, a, this is a gross name drop, but when I was starting to do it, I did ask, um, Ben Gibbard is a friend of mine. Uh I asked him for advice for running shoes and he gave me great advice. Yeah. Tell tell him to, whatever, tell him to return my emails also, but go on. Sorry. I, I sure will. And, and But he is someone who I used to, you know, drink in bars with. And now not only does he not drink, he runs 100 milers. Yeah. And I'm like, that's... I'm yeah, my, that my last 100 was, he was there. Oh, my God. Yeah, See, I, that is a level of... I, I'm, what, I'm, what I've noticed and I'm proud of is like now when I'm on, you know, mile seven, I don't feel like my breathing is super elevated. Like, yeah. I, I feel fine. Yeah. But it doesn't mean I want to do seven more. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> uh, yeah. It's, um, like you said, it's a slippery slope. And, uh, you know, when you're, when you're running a, a half marathon, you never think you're going to run a marathon. And when you're running a marathon, you never th- think you're going to run a 50 and et cetera, et cetera. Um, but sorry, it happens to the best of us and the worst of us. It- it, it's it's a really nice thing, and I and I and for people who are listening, I can't I don't know how many listeners you have who don't do this, who don't run, but like it is, especially if you have a family <laughs> whom you love, there aren't many like there aren't many sanctioned escapes just for yourself for a, a small amount of time, right. and this at least in my household and maybe in others like this 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 is approved, this is approved. <laughs> 
uh, solitary behavior um, by everyone. And I, I appreciate that. It, it's also like if, if you live, I mean, I live in Los Angeles now. It's it's just beautiful. And so it's really hard to have the excuse that I think I had in New York, which was it's gross out. Right, right. Uh, well, you should feel pity for us stuck back east. Sorry. I, I, I do, except I, I, I when the weather is nice for the three weeks collectively, that it's, nice, it's nicer than it is here. Fair enough. Fair enough. Let's do a couple of quick hits before I have to let you go. Um, sure. Uh, Pat's or Gino's, or if you have a third um, choice, because I have a third choice. Yeah, I mean, I'm such a cliche. I was going to be like De Nick's roast pork, you know? Uh, like I, that's I, I but I don't want to be that guy. <laughs> What's the one? Is Jim's on South Street? Yeah, Jim's is on South Street. That's a good one. I, I feel like I like that one, but yeah. I, I, I'm not. I have I historically I haven't been a cheese, biggest cheesesteak guy, so I'm I don't know the secret place in like Doylestown that you know. Is yeah, than all so, the other uh, I don't know that. D- D'Alessandro's out in Germantown was when I was living uh, right. out there. Was that was the, that was the one? Um, Parts unknown or Top Chef? Oh boy, um, boy, I, I can't compare. I need both of them in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, in terms of like purely sublime moments, Parts unknown. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. I have. You're a you're a former radio slash music type guy. Uh, do you remember Desert Island Discs? Of course, yeah. Okay, we're going to do Desert Island Picks. You're going to a Desert Island for a year. We're going to make this very oh, quick. Jesus. Okay? I'm sorry to spring yeah. this on you. I usually give my guests a little bit of uh, force, uh, you know, forewarning. But uh, you're going to Desert Island for a year. You get to bring one book, one album, one food, and one beer. Oh, my God. This I know. is horrific. I know. It's terrible. With no, no preparation whatsoever? Well, you were hard to get on email. What can I say? <laughs> oh, my God. Okay. All right. All right. All right. Say it again. One book. What, what are the... Uh-huh. One album, one food, and one beer. Okay, the album is Fleetwood Mac's Tusk. Nice. It's a triple album. I won't get tired no, of it. No, you won't get bored, exactly. I know, um, I know you're a huge Lindsey Buckingham fan. I am, and I, that's probably my favorite album ever. Um, one one book. One book. Christ. I mean, I, should pr- I, I feel like the obvious choice is like War and Peace, because you'd have a lot get through um okay. i've had some people say I, an atlas because maybe they could find their way home which i think is kind yeah of a that cop wouldn't out. be it though uh, yeah no i mean i i think it, it i'm trying to choose between there are books that i that i reread a right lot, that, that's um, yes for pleasure and never and i always enjoy and so in that world it would probably be like chinaman's chance by ross thomas or dance 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 by haruki murakami oh or, wow um Maybe I'm trying to think which which uh, James Crumley book that I would just like maybe like Border Snakes by James Crumley because I can just keep reading those Perfect. and they scratch an itch that is just always there. Marikami is a big runner too. Yes, exactly. And I, you know he, he's someone I've read all his books and I just I love him. I've been rereading the books again, all of them recently, and have not reread the running book. And now I feel like I have a different perspective on it. Perfect. Perfect. One food. One food. Yeah. I mean, it would have to be something that would be like nutritionally complex, right? Or else I would die. Oh, okay. Or, or, or you're, are you're there You're probably taking it a the... little bit too seriously. One food and I'll allow you a multivitamin. How's that? Okay. Uh, <laughs> well, okay. Then keeping with the Philadelphia theme, I choose uh, sour cream and onion hers potato chips <laughs> in the green bag. 
<laughs> because no food item has ever given me as much pleasure. Okay, over tasty cakes, crimpets, or whatever. Oh yeah, yeah I'm not a sweet <laughs> guy. Always, always, always salts and chips. One beer. Are you sticking with uh, Yingling, or as it's called in Philadelphia, lager? No, I mean. <laughs> That, you know, you want something that would be like water, both in terms of its content, but also something, like, in terms of the way it tastes to you after having yes, so exactly. many of them. Do you know what I really, uh, I really like this beer out here called Trumer, Trumer Pilsner. I've been drinking a lot of those and really enjoying it. That's sort of my current, like, platonic ideal for a beer, because, you know, I, you said you were going to, I think, take issue with me, but I, I don't like <laughs> beer at all. I find it, I, I just can't stand it. So. That's fine. I like well, I like well-made light, like pilsners and lagers and stuff that's i i don't have a problem with that at all i love a good pilsner a good lager that's great but the thing is i don't like a good ipa so I'm the problem. <laughs> no well i mean look the ipa thing is uh i think most people would admit the ipa thing has gone a little bit over the edge good okay i'm glad to hear that <laughs> andy this was so great thank you so much i know i've taken up way too much of your time but uh this was really really fun this was a real uh, treat for me a real honor for me and um you know, good luck with quarantine. Good luck, hopefully, with season two of Briar Patch. I'm sorry I don't have Sam Esmail walking in behind me to give you a renewal right now. But uh, oh, he, he he's not the guy. He, he would <laughs> he would do it. He's just an executive producer who gets paid if we get another season. No, it, it's the it's the network you have to talk to. That was something actually I, I meant to ask you about is what exactly an executive producer does. But maybe we'll talk about that the next time I have you on. It depends on the executive producer. I can say that. Um, thank you for this. You you. Those were great questions, and I really enjoyed talking to you. And I, I need some more. Next time, give me more running advice because I actually need more help than I have answers to give on that. Oh, no, this was really great. And anytime you have questions, please reach out, and I would be happy to guide you on your running adventure. I will, I will apologize in advance that I will probably force you to run a lot more than you would prefer. I probably need that, so I appreciate it. All right, thank <laughs> Andy, you, Matt. Take care. Thanks so much, and may I have the honor of saying great job, Baranski. Hey, thanks. <laughs> Have a good weekend. You too. Everybody else in the pain cave, thanks for listening. And until next time, keep putting one foot in front of the other. Broken down and beaten up. The years have been long and tough, but I'm not dead. I'm happy now just to spend some time with friends and have a roof above my head. I'm not jaded, just been faded. Like a good old pair of jeans Rusted like a proud old car That's drove a little too far And seen too much rain But long ago as a child I look about the night sky In wild wonderment Then ride the bus and feel upset To think of all the years I'd have to go through there I was still young I was still young And I was still young